Okay, Matthew 24. Uh, we've done a verse 6. We've done the wars and rumours of wars. We're moving on. I did have an extra famine bit, but we're not going to have time. So, um, we'll go on. To, actually, we've got 20 minutes. Uh, let's do the famine one. We'll save the next bit for next week, shall we? So, okay. Matt, we're still in Matthew 24, though. Verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars. Now, we started this series, for those of you who are new today, because we're hearing of wars and rumours of wars. So it's very sensible that you find out what Jesus says about wars and also earthquakes and famines and other awful things as well. So verse 6 says, You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Seems a strange thing to say. Jesus says such things must happen. Not might happen, but these must happen. Hopefully by the end of next Sunday, we'll understand why Jesus said they must happen. Or get a bit of more of a sense of understanding anyway. <laughs> Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, what two things... Shall I give you a chocolate to fads if you get it right? What, what two things have we recently been encouraged to ask when we encounter these awful things? What two questions might you ask? What, what, God, what I say, what good is God doing? And yeah, what is God saying to me or asking of me? Oop. So two things we should ask all the time really. What good is God doing and what is God saying to me or asking of me? But particularly when we see these things happening, Jesus warns us about. Because we shouldn't be alarmed, we should be looking to him, shouldn't we? Which is what he also said. Now, I know the last time I said we thought we finished with famine, but I've discovered something, probably the best thing in the world that happened because of a famine. Can I share with it with you? Okay, to get a little bit of context, let's turn back 12 chapters to... Matthew 12. Turn back to Matthew 12, just to get a bit of context. You'll have one for all the family soon, Andy. Thank you very much. Matthew 12, verse 22. In verse 22 says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, by the way, can a demon affect you physically? Yes. yes. Often we look at our physical imperfections and problems and we blame God, don't we? But when we see Job, who was it that afflicted Job with the sickness? Satan. Satan. God allowed it, obviously, but Satan. So normally, have this in mind. Devil, bad. God good. That's always the best opinion, isn't it? Devil bad, God good. Okay, verse 23. All the people saw this amazing healing and astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Now, what is so special about this son of David? And why were they thinking Jesus might be him, the son of David? Well, fast forward 10 chapters to... 22... And that's you're nearly there. One more to go. Yeah. All right, Matthew 22, verse 41. We'll hear a little bit more about this son of David business. 
Verse 41 says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, Who do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. Now, these Pharisees and all the other Jewish people were holding on to a thousand-year promise originally made to King David that the Messiah would come from David's line. He would be a son, a great-great-great-great-great-grandson, maybe. They didn't know, did they? They didn't know how long it would take. But they knew the Messiah was going to come from King David's line. And the promise finally came down from heaven a thousand years later, which is about 30 years prior to what Jesus is having this conversation now, 30 years prior to Jesus' conversation talking about who do you say the Son of Man is? So who do you say the Messiah is? They said he's the Son of David. So let's back up 30 years prior to Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Anyone there? Andy's there. There you go. Full house. It's so quick. We'll be checking with the boys, though. Did they get them? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. Not flavoured gravy as I used to sing it in the school choir. Most highly flavoured gravy. Gloria. Okay. The Lord... No everyone will get that, I guess. <laughs> the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this thousand year promise from God that the Messiah will come from David's line finally the angel Gabriel was told to go and announce it. It's arrived. You can have a son, and he's going to be the son of David. He will be on the throne of his father David. And that's why those who recognised that Jesus was the Messiah referred to him sometimes as the son of David. Can you remember what blind Bartimaeus cried out? Yeah, more than that, though. I want the whole bit. Yeah, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what about the crowds on Palm Sunday? What did they cry? Hosanna to the son of David. Yeah. When God says something is going to happen, does it happen just as he said? Yeah? Even if it takes a thousand years, yeah? Even if it takes two thousand years, even if it takes 2,022 years, will it happen? Just as he said, yes. Sometimes we just can't believe it because it just takes too long, but it will happen, won't it? Now, can I show you now the most, probably the most wonderful thing that ever came out of a famine? All right, now, I've got these little ones. 
a big bar of chocolate for anyone who can guess the book of the Bible that I'm going to turn to that talks about this famine that led to probably the most amazing thing that ever happened. I'll give you two clues about this book. One, it involves a famine. (laughs) And two, it involves a direct ancestor of King David. Book of Ruth. Yeah. Just on a girl's brigade. Well done. Turn to the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth isn't where you expect it to be in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, but you expect it to be further back. But it's not. It's quite early on. Just after the book of, is it Judges? Yeah. I think. So turn to the book of Ruth. But we're going to go to the end of the story first, if that's okay. So Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, we're going to be reading from verse 13. So Boaz, we'll we'll be introduced to the characters in a little bit, but Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Hmm? I said wife. Why? Yeah, I said wife. What did I say? Okay. There's an echo in the room, that's why. Okay, should we start again? Ready to call out, Jackie? So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Thank you. (laughs) When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The the women said to Naomi, now Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law from her previous marriage. Unfortunately, her first husband died. Ruth became a widow. So Naomi is her mother-in-law from her first marriage. They said to Naomi, Praise to the Lord who, is, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. Sorry, kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Ladies, has your mother-in-law ever said to you, you're better to me than seven sons? <laughs> no? That surprises me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, verse 16. Then Naomi, that's grandma, took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, which means servant of God. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. So, baby Obed would become the grandfather of King David. Okay, can we see that? Now, here's an interesting question. If Obed had never been born, would there have been a King David? Yes. No, he might not have been called David. Well, basically, there wouldn't have been a David. Let's put it another way. If your grandparents had never met, would you exist? No, because you are basically a makeup. Your DNA, which only you possess your DNA, you're a makeup of all your generations, aren't you? Down, 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 down. So if, if two of them didn't meet, you wouldn't exist. Someone else 
would be in your place, maybe, sort of, I don't know, but yes, you wouldn't exist. There's only one of you. So, well, I, do you know what? I thought about that. Does God send us the Spirit? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> it is quite deep, you know, but... Yep. Yeah. You wonder, don't you? But for the sake of this sermon, <laughs> we're, we're not going to go too deep. So I, I'll ask you again. <laughs> if Obed had never been born, would there have been King David? <laughs> All right, yeah, not that particular one. Yes, God, God could have chosen someone else, I'm guessing. But David as he was, the rugged, young, good-looking, handsome uh, shepherd boy would not have existed DNA-wise kind of thing, okay? So for there to have been a King David, there had to be a Ruth and Boaz, yes? And then there was an Obed and Mrs. Obed. They don't mention Mrs. Obed's name. Oh, and then there had to have been a, a Jesse and a Mrs. Jesse, who also, there's no name mentioned, although she was frequently known as David's mum. Verse 18. This then is the family line of Perez. Now they're going back a bit from uh, Boaz. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. And Ram was the father of uh, Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And David, it turns out, was about the 25th grandfather of Jesus Christ. The Messiah. The son of David. Okay? So that's where I wanted to get to, basically, in a long roundabout way, that... Ruth and Obed, sorry, Ruth and Boaz had a baby and this led to the grandfather of David and of course David led to one day Jesus coming to the earth, son of David. Now, let's go to the beginning of Ruth, please. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, Jesus warned us, didn't he, about famines. There will be more. There was many famines, and there will be many famines, and earthquakes and wars. And Luke, Luke also adds pestilences and other scary things. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife, Naomi, and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, I typed in this morning, I googled, how far from Bethlehem to Moab? And do you know what it came up with all, all on all the hits? About 2,000 kilometres? And I was like, what? No way! And it turns out that there's a place in America called Moab <laughs> and Bethlehem. So if you scroll further, 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 further down, it then tells you actually the distance between 
our Bethlehem in, in Jerusalem and Moab. And it's about 50 miles. So not too far away. About a five-day hike for them. Apparently it's quite, quite steep and jagged. So why did they move to Moab? Famine, yes. A famine, basically. And in Moab, both her sons married Moabite women. They were settling down. One of these women was, her name? Ruth. Ruth. Who got it first? Be honest. I just throw it randomly, see who catches it. Is it Amanda? No, definitely not Amanda. All right, no one's getting it. Okay. Right. One of the names was Ruth, and the other name was? Oprah Winfrey. No? Yeah. <laughs> ah, there we go. So the other name was Orpah. Tragically, Naomi's husband died. And then what happened later? Her two sons died as well. Not only they moved from a famine, which was bad enough having to move, but then her husband died, and then ten years later her two sons died as well leaving all three women widows. We, um, during uh, the uh, school fete yesterday, we met, I met, my first Ukrainian family, who'd literally come weeks ago from Ukraine, left her husband behind, and came with her two children, just settling in to, uh, to the school and the area, living in someone's home. Thankfully, someone gave them a room. They're living in, hoping that her husband is going to be coming over soon. To settle down and well how long will they be here they don't know maybe they'll settle down for years maybe not but um, it was a real blessing and she well we prayed for her and then they came to messy church her and her two kids afterwards so it's really good to get to know them um, so all the men died leaving three widows now out of interest have you ever struggled with this part of the story if you have ever read Ruth have you ever wondered how God could allow tragedy like that to strike the same family three times. Have you ever struggled with that? No? No? You probably ask yourself, what good, what good he's got up to? And what is he saying to them or saying to me? Did you ask that? Well, yeah, some people say, why did they leave in the first place? You know, should they have had more faith kind of thing? Interestingly, Jesus' family fled, didn't they? Sometimes it's the right thing to do, to flee. Perhaps you've experienced similar circumstances where you have felt tempted to think badly of God. How could he allow this to happen to me or my family? Joan, you... Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Joan. Okay. But even in shocking tragedy, 
What two questions might it be possible to ask? What good might God be up to? And what is he saying to me? Or what is he requiring of me? Even in the midst of famine, and then death, once, twice, three times in the book of Ruth, amidst this dreadfulness, what godfulness might be happening? If the wars in Ukraine and elsewhere are part of what Jesus said must happen, what godfulness must be happening too? Okay. In the book of Ruth, we can assume that if it weren't for the famine, Naomi would never have moved to Moab and her son married Ruth. Do you assume that? They stayed at home. They would never have moved and met Ruth. I'm sorry, Ruth would yeah, never have met Ruth. Her husband, her son, would never have met and married Ruth. And therefore, Ruth would never have come back with Naomi to live in Bethlehem, which is what happened. We're missing out in the middle of the story. And as awful as it may sound, if Ruth's husband hadn't have died, she would never have married Boaz. Is that the case? And therefore, by our working out earlier. Obed would never have been born and become part of this amazing lineal tapestry which led to King David being born, which more importantly made way for Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, to be born. If you read the whole story of Ruth, which you can go and do as homework, you'll see it's a true story about God's goodness, his provision, his guiding hand and his redemption, especially in the face of tragedy. And it's also very much about Ruth's faith and her generosity to her mother-in-law and to Boaz as well and other people in the face of famine and adversity. We learned last time, didn't we, that generosity is the best policy when it comes to a famine. When it comes to facing these things, our own generosity is the best policy. God is able then to move and on our behalf. Even when harsh circumstances make it seem like God doesn't care and that he isn't there, is that the case for those who love him? How do you know? What scripture can you stand on in the darkest, worst times of your life or when you see the world doing what it's doing. What scripture can you stand on? Well, let's finish. I'm promising you it's finishing. Romans 8. You know it very well. Romans 8 verse 28. 28. Yes. Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Can we assume that Ruth, this Moabite lady who was just, well, she was living, she was, and then got married, and then she faced awful tragedy, her husband died, then she decided to move up sticks, leave her family behind, and trust this woman, Naomi, that seemed to be very unlucky. But Naomi had great faith in her God. So much so that Ruth decided, look, from now on, your God is my God. I will trust him. Wherever he goes, whatever he sends us, I will be there with you. 
And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are being called according to his purpose. Do you love the Lord? Even when you're in the difficult circumstances, even when you are sitting in A&E, wondering, God, why could you allow this to happen to me? You know, everything was going well, or I've got this and I've got that. Can you still trust him? Is he going to be working good in your situation, even if it looks like everything has fallen apart? What good is God up to? And what is he saying or asking of me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, it must have been horrible. Firstly, to experience a famine and have to move, not really knowing where you're going to end up. It must be horrible for Eva and her two children, saying goodbye to her husband and their father and just not really knowing who they're going to be staying with, not knowing what will happen to her husband in uh, the danger area where he is. Father, it must be difficult for our loved ones and those that we don't even know that right now are so scared, so worried, so confused, facing tragedy. And for ourselves, Abba, we've also been there questioning your wisdom, questioning your hand, blaming you often for the bad things or wondering, have we deserved this? Have we gone off the path? Have we ended up somewhere by our own doing? But Father, we read in the middle of Ruth that it just so happened is the very phrase it uses. It, as it happened, it just so happened that one day, obedient to her mother-in-law's advice, Ruth found herself in Boaz's field. And the rest, well, we would say the rest is history, but actually the rest is our future as well because it's Jesus. And Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, being able to redeem them out of that situation legally, rightfully. We know, Father, that Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, the Son of David, he came as our redeemer. He came to lift us out of this world one day. He came to redeem us to you so that we would be adopted as your children and all you ask is repentance trust and baptism in obedience to following Jesus as he baptised on our behalf joining himself with sinful man we baptise us as sinful men and women joining ourselves with the sinless saviour Lord, thank you for redeeming us. And whatever we're going through now, help us to cling to you, knowing that if all these things, we're guessing some of them must happen, 
But even in these awful tragedies, you can redeem the situation and turn it for good. Holy Spirit, help us to have the peace of Jesus in our hearts as we travel along, clinging to you. Amen. Also reminds me, this week I read that 